Welcome to the 64th episode of the Hondo Handy Podcast, brought to you by Residence Inn by Marriott, your journey to an unforgettable stay at their hotel in Ocean City, Maryland. Located at 300 Seabay Lane, call 410-723-2222 or find them on the web at residenceinnoc.com. My guest today is Jim Berkman, head men's football coach at Salisbury University. How are you doing today, coach? Doing good, Hondo. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's an honor, Coach. It really is an honor. Coach, let me um, tell my listeners a little bit about you before we get started. The all-time winningest coach in NCAA men's lacrosse history, Jim Burke, enters his 34th, 34th season at the helm of uh, Salisbury University's 12-time national champions. Um some of his accomplishments are that he is a 12-time national champion, has 577 wins as a head coach, the most in NCAA history. He was inducted into the National Hall of Fame in 2013. He's had a 32-straight NCAA tournament appearances from 1989 to present. Has had 28 NCAA Final Four appearances, seven undefeated seasons, and he is a three-time Division III National Coach of the Year. Coach, congratulations. You have an impressive bio. And, of course, that's not even half of it. Thank you, Hondo. I've been fortunate to be able to coach a lot of great players. That You know, great, great players make good coaches. And uh, we've been fortunate to have a lot of them at Salisbury. And, and hopefully we'll have some more in the very near future. Coach, uh, tell, me, tell my listeners a little bit about your upbringing, maybe where you grew up and, and if you played any sports before high school? Well, I grew up in upstate New York in Watertown, New York, which is about seven. Uh, Syracuse, New York, up in, the, you know, the snow belt capital of the world. <laughs> um, so, you know, snow was no stranger. I was very fortunate growing up that um, we also had a, an outdoor uh, ice rink about 100 yards from my house. Um, so I played a lot of hockey growing up. If there was one organized sport that I probably played the most growing up, it was definitely hockey. Wow. I used to play, you know, two games on Saturday and one game on Sunday, usually every weekend. And sometimes, you know, I can remember playing in Ellicks Bay, which was about to be the same difference in Berlin and Salisbury. And playing a, you know, it would be like playing a, for me right now, it'd be like playing a hockey game in, in Ocean City in the morning. And my dad would bring me back midday and I'd play a basketball game in the church league in the midday. And he'd take me back to Ellicks Bay at night and <laughs> play another hockey game. So, uh, you know, but. Growing up, I played all the sports. I lived in a great neighborhood uh, of kids. We were out in the street 24-7. You know, there was no cell phones and, you know, there was no video games. Our video games was just out competing every day. And, you know, whatever the whatever the season was, we were playing. What? We were, you know, we were out in the snow in the streets and tackling guys into the snow banks, <laughs> you know, playing hockey, shoveling the basketball courts and playing in the winter. Oh, yes. Yeah. But uh, you know, pl I played a baseball. Obviously, you know, baseball has always been very organized. But back then, lacrosse and soccer, which were two of my primary sports, you know, they weren't really organized as youth sports at that time. It was more you had to wait till you got to high school type of thing. Um, but uh, I, we played everything conceivable. I was fortunate to get to play against a lot of older kids in our neighborhood. Too. I think that helped me develop, especially as a basketball player. Um, because I was always playing with guys six, seven, eight, and he's sometimes 10 years older than me. Wow. Hey, Coach, 
So when you did attend high school, what sports did you play in, play then? So an interesting thing in high school, in, in ninth grade, um, I had to make a choice because, you know, our high school did not have a hockey team. And so okay. uh, I ended up playing uh, basketball in ninth grade. And as soon as basketball was over in, in March, then I went and joined my travel hockey team and would play hockey for the next you know, six weeks until it ended about the first of April. Um, and then I played soccer in high school for, the, for ninth grade. But in 10th grade, I, I decided one of my goals was that I that I wanted to win the Graph Award at Watertown High School. And the Graph Award was the, you know, the best athlete, you know, in your, in your uh, okay. yeah. graduating class. And to do that, you had to play three sports. So I was going to play baseball. And the day before, my best friend convinced me to play lacrosse in 10th grade. <laughs> um, you know, and I changed the 12th hour, probably one of the most important things. And you talk about, you know, critical events in your life. It was probably the most critical thing for my success is that that day I, I, I laid the, the glove down and picked up the stick and, um, you know, I started playing lacrosse and, um, and I, and I adapted real well to it. And, you know, my hockey and my basketball upbringing, there was no, it was very short, you know, and I, I've always been an obsessive compulsive guy. Anyway, so living on the wall and practicing with my stick when a very short period of time, I had a better stick than most kids who had played several years. Um, but a long story short, you know, I go on to be first team all league in, in soccer, first team all league in basketball and, you know, the leading wow. in the league in lacrosse my senior year. And and I did win that graph award. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you put in the hard work. Coach, what was the name of your high school? High school right there in Watertown, New York. Oh, Watertown House. Okay, so from high school, um, you attended was it St. Lawrence University? Yep, I went to St. Lawrence University. Was that your first choice, or were you just looking at other schools too? Well, I was probably going to stay somewhere in the North Country, and 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 I was thinking about Potsdam State a little bit. Um, but okay. I was fortunate that um, Paul Evans. Uh, who was the basketball coach at St. Lawrence at the time, who later coached at the Naval Academy in Pittsburgh, um, was the head coach at St. Lawrence. He came and saw me play as a junior, and and uh, I had a pretty good day. Uh, uh, Marty Head, who started at Syracuse for four years, was on CBA in high school, and I guarded him that day, and he didn't score a point. Wow. Uh, and uh, I ended up going to St. Lawrence to, you know, being recruited to play basketball. Um, but <laughs> – uh, coach Lee, who was the lacrosse coach, was well aware of some of my accolades. So I ended up, you know, playing both sports at St. Lawrence. I played both basketball and lacrosse in college for, you know, four years. What what um, uh, did you receive any honors while you were there? Um, yeah, I received that one in high school. I, I was an All-American in lacrosse and oh. uh, and I also was the. It's. I was the league's MVP in basketball my junior year. The whole entire league. Yeah. Wow! Congratulations, coach. Well, um, uh, what was your degree in when you were, were at uh, St. Lawrence? What did uh, you major in? Physical education. You know, I had a okay. great high school basketball coach. His name was Lou Kibling, and um, I just had a great experience. You know, being around him. He was actually my elementary school PE teacher when I was, you know, in kindergarten through third grade. Um, and he a basketball league for kids when we were first, second, third grade, Wow! Uh, you know, and, uh, I always, I always wanted to coach. There was no doubt that, you know, after being, 
around him and in high school there was you know moving forward the only thing i wanted to do was was coach and and to teach and that's why i pursued that degree well i have to tell you coach that is exactly why i majored in physical education because i wanted to be a coach and i wanted to do the same thing my coach did so you're definitely influenced by your coaches yeah Um, absolutely i know you uh once you finish at uh, st lawrence uh, what drew you to salisbury for your grad graduate school you know again another major life thing happened to me um you know I had a great experience in basketball I was well known in upstate New York and um so I was all set to actually go to Ithaca College to be the graduate assistant in basketball for Tom Baker and uh Third week in June, after I graduated from St. Lawrence, Hank Jancic, who just retired from from Gettysburg and a you know, storied career of 33 years of coaching, um, was the assistant lacrosse coach at St. Lawrence. And he just got the job at the end of June in 1982 at Salisbury. And, oh. he, and we had become very good friends that year when he was coaching me as an assistant coach. And he said, Jim, you know, um, do you want to come? I haven't given up on basketball yet. And I really still want to keep coaching basketball because I don't know what I ultimately want to do. So he said, let me make a call. And so he called Ward Lambert, who you're well familiar with. Oh, yeah. And uh, Ward didn't have his GA yet. And then Ward did some quick research and he found out that, you know, I was a point guard, had a big pedigree and, he just, you know, thought, man, I'm good getting a little lucky. I didn't have one GA at all, and all of a sudden I'm getting a person who was a point guard too, you know, and and uh, wants to coach. So, um, so I ended up coming to Salisbury in the fall of '82, and I was uh, actually it was a GA in three different things. It's hard to believe, but I was the GA in the physical education, taught classes. I was the GA in basketball, and I was the GA in lacrosse. I had a pretty busy schedule. Um, wow, to see, that's to not think. normal. Does no, that nobody does that anymore. Uh, but it, it all turned out awesome. I had a great two year experience here. Um, you know, and I, at that time became very good friends with, uh, Dr. Bellavance and Mrs. Bellavance, who was the president of the university and right. actually, uh, monitored their house to, you know, one summer for about uh, five weeks when they were on a family reunion in, um, in Italy and I was taking care of their kids and while I was doing some <laughs> my graduate work and, you know, and a great relationship evolved and, when the position became open back in uh, in 88 at Salisbury, you know, he was the one who called me. It wasn't the AD or anybody else. It was the president of the university because of the relationship that, you know, that we had struck um, from back when I, I was the the GA. Wow. And now uh, you're not talking about when you're assistant. That's This is when you became the head coach? Yeah, so head coach at basketball and assistant coach of lacrosse at St. Lawrence University. And uh, I had been there for three years there. And, uh, you know, Dr. Bellavance was actually the one that called when the lacrosse job opened at Salisbury. We want you to come back, um, you know, and uh, some other people in the department are going to, you know, follow up getting the interview and everything. But I just want you to know that I I want you to come back and be our coach. So that was pretty interesting because that doesn't happen a whole lot. No, no. Now, did, were you ever, uh, you said you were the coach at St. Lawrence for a while or assistant coach? Yeah, so right out of- I was very fortunate 
um, again, because of basketball that led to it because the head coach at Potsdam State Basketball, who won a couple national championships, was Jerry Welch, you know, which is 10 miles down the road from St. Lawrence. So he he was well aware of who I was. And, you know, we had played against each other probably 10 or 12 times during my college career because we always played a couple times and then usually in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, he needed an assistant basketball coach, but he was the AD and he needed a head lacrosse coach. But, you know, <laughs> so I, I was fortunate when I was 24 in uh, graduating from Salisbury to get the head lacrosse job at Potsdam State and oh. work in the EOP program and be the assistant basketball coach. And um, I was there for one year and uh, had a school. We had a school record in lacrosse that year. We we're nine to five and had a great season, you know, just a tremendous experience. And. And then um, the head basketball job at St. Lawrence opened, and at 25, I became the head basketball coach at St. Lawrence. Um, And then I helped. I was the head JV soccer coach there, and I also helped with lacrosse um, at at St. Lawrence. Wow, you were busy. But in 1989, you became the head coach at Salisbury. Um, Yeah, in the fall of 88, 89 was my first season um, as the head coach. Um, you know, was it easy transition for you to come back to Salisbury? Well, it was an easy transition to come back, but you know, the previous coach before me was probably, you know, of all the people that have done such great things here at the university, the, the black thorns in the athletic history, the coach had to be fired because of some of the things that, that were transpiring with the players off the field and you know, I was coming into a situation where nothing had been followed through. I showed up and, you know, we're supposed to have 13 games on the schedule. And there was about six that really were true. So I was scrambling for games. Um, you know, the roster was down to about 18 players. Um, oh, the goalie who ended up being a first team All-American at Gettys at, at Washington College the following two years left because he just didn't want to stay here for the this state of the program. But, um, you know, I was fortunate that my nephew, Ricky Berkman, who is the head coach at Potsdam State now, he came with me and uh, we got a few other kids to come in the middle of the year. And um, and we made the best of of the situation. And, and, you know, we're fortunate to make the tournament in the very first year, uh, you know, with with not a full squad and and some guys that came in in the middle of the year, too. Um, And uh, that that was the start of a. a pretty successful NCAA run of 33, you know, consecutive tournaments. Yes, I was looking at your records, and um, now I know why that first year you were only nine, nine and five. You just probably didn't have that many games. Well, we only played 13 regular season games that year, right? And, and then we got beat in the first round in, in the in the in the tournament. Um, but we were just fortunate to make the tournament. Then, you know, it was a very limited number of players not a lot of talent and um but a lot of guys that kind of started bought, buying in on all levels and they had a great experience and they were the key for me selling you know the future recruits that kind of came in the next couple of years that we were able to turn things around and you know and and in three years and you know in 1991 we hosted the, the back the last year that they hosted on campus we hosted hobart for the national championship game Man, uh, home—that was at home. That was yep, amazing. Yeah, ninety-one. It was one of the biggest crowds ever at Seagull Stadium <laughs> at the time. Uh, um, and we lost thirteen to twelve. Wow, wow, Coach, um, you have had some marvelous recruits. I mean, 
I mean, some of those players are just fantastic. And uh, I guess, you know, your your record really draws them to Salisbury. Well, obviously, people want to win, you know. Um, yeah. But we've been very fortunate. You know, we've been able to recruit some good players. And, you know, it's, it's R&D. It's recruit and develop, you know. And uh, we've been fortunate to have a good system in place that kids get a whole lot better here because of the system and, and the coaching and the, and the camaraderie and, the, 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 you know, the leadership of the upperclassmen and got a great culture. And so a lot of kids have gotten a lot better while they were here and learned to work really hard and really learned to love the process, you know, of all those endless great player to be a champion and you know, been fortunate to coach some of the games best and, you know, with Cross Ferreira this year becoming the National Player of the Year, you know, that's like the Heisman Trophy winner, you know, and that was the 12th one that I was fortunate to coach this year. And, you know, most coaches, you know, they dream of coaching one of those guys, and I've been fortunate to coach 12 of them. Amazing. Um, we mentioned that uh, you know, the national, national Coach of the Year um, – uh, in 91, in 2008, and 2012. But you also have had 23 conference championships, 15 consecutive championships, uh, 236 All-Americans, Coach? Yeah, we actually got a few more than that right now. We're pretty close to about 250 with the eight we had this year. This year, um, oh, yes. So, you know, we we, uh, we consistently – And uh, – and some of the great players that we've had that have led to that success have gotten honored. And we were fortunate to have, you know, an awful good group this year. And, you know, with the returning of Chris uh, Cross Ferreira next year for his fifth year because of COVID eligibility, who was the player of the year. And midfielder of the year, you know, we, we returned going into the 21, 22 season, probably the two best offensive players in the country. Wow. Now coach, you know, <clears throat> You've had a number of players drafted, uh, i say at least uh, 13 in the Major League uh, Lacrosse draft picks. Do you ever stay in touch with any of them? Yeah, I mean, most of the guys that have played here, you know, we're, we still got each other's phone number. There's always a lot of regular text going between many of them because a lot of them are still involved in the game, you know. Um, Texted me the other day about a kid that was in camp. You know, Kyle played on the world team, a kid that he had in, in a lacrosse camp in, in Utah. Um, you know, Johnny Rodriguez, who was a national goal of the year in 2011, he brought with Eric Crum and, and New Krause and Luke Phipps, who were our three other great players here, brought, you know, three teams of California kids uh, on, into the stadium the other day. And I spoke to them and their parents, about 200 people. Um, you know, so. There, there's a lot of guys that are still involved with the game that, you know, we, we touch base. And then, you know, we've got a pretty good coaching tree going, too. There's several guys who have played here or are coaching, you know, across all over the country at all levels. And, you know, we actually had a podcast last, sum, last summer during COVID. We started a weekly uh, coaches corner with Coach Berkman and Coach Axel, and we'd have weekly guests for some of our former coaches. And it was great great clinic every week that we were hosting and so we were seeing many of them almost on a weekly basis on our, you know on our podcast that's amazing and um uh, they get to see a lot of those young kids out there and they ask about them and, and there's salisbury right in front of them um coach uh, how did you deal with COVID? you know was it the year before and last year how did your team deal with COVID? Well, you know, I think first of all, it, it's 
the coach dealing with COVID. <laughs> yes, 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 everybody again. You know, because every day is, you know, most people in any of their jobs, every day, you know, that you're told one thing and then you start to do that thing. And then the next day, the rules change again and, you know, right, ongoing right. basis. And, you know, for coaches and for athletes, they're not good at that stuff. You know, yeah. you got a system. These are the rules. This is A to get to B, B gets to C, and C gets to D. And, you know, so when you're always trying to be told something different and to do something and to redo something you've already done, that was very difficult, I think, for me and, and for the players in a lot of ways. Um, but to our university's credit, you know, we we did a, a outstanding job of testing you know, right from the beginning of, you know, weekly testing and kids making good decisions, et cetera, you know, that we, we were here in school all fall, which many teams, there's not many schools in the country that made it through the whole fall. They went home at Thanksgiving and stayed home. We made it all the way through Christmas. Right. You know, we were able to fortunate because they changed the rules about fall practices. We ended up practicing more than we ever practiced in the fall last year. We practiced 26 times. Instead of finishing in the middle of October, we didn't finish until I think it was December 4th because that was as late as we could go. So we actually practiced more and coached more in the fall than I ever had coached, uh, which was good. Um, you know, but oh. it got to the season, there was still all that uncertainty. We didn't know if we were going to be still playing, if we were going to get teams that would play us and, you know, it was a week to week thing and then games got canceled early and we finally didn't even open up until March 6th, which was, you know, a whole month after when we should have opened up. Right. And, uh, it, you know, and then we lost some games, um, but then we picked up some games. So it was just a constant changing battle. Travel was different. Um, we couldn't take the whole team as we usually could because of, bus restrictions and number of players. Oh, and, man, that had to be. You know, there was just all kinds yeah. of things that were difficult, you know, and, and I really felt sorry for the freshmen because right. they don't even know what college is yet. They're going to be sophomores. They don't really even know what college is. You know, they haven't had a chance to go out and just experience what a, a freshman year is about, you know, because right. or, or they, they've been forced in their rooms. They've been online with classes. Yeah. You know, some of them. You know, a couple of them, you know, maybe only got to travel to one game this year on the road. Oh, man, that's a bummer. You know, so, but to our captain's credit and to our culture's credit, um, you know, they, they really brought everybody together, you know, in spite of all the limitations that we had, you know, and hopefully we are now in a good place, you know, as we move forward to the 21-22 season. Well, um you mentioned that um, this year's, you know, some of the players will be able to come back. Will be eligible for another year. Is that correct? Yeah, because of COVID, actually, you know, the last two seasons really haven't counted for anybody. Okay. Um, so there is a little bit of a log jam for you know. Like last year we had nine fifth-year seniors because they came back because they lost their senior year. Right. You know, and then. But this year didn't really count either. The NCAA made, you know, made a statement in November that this year wasn't going to count because they didn't know if anybody was going to play any games this year. So even though it's a lot of teams played a lot of games, it didn't really count. So if a kid wants to come and go to grad school and extend his education and parents got the money to do it, and you know, a kid could actually stay here for six years. <laughs> right, well, well. 
if they if they wanted to and um, we'll have five fifth year seniors this year because of it and we may have one sixth year player his dad wants him to get an MBA, hopefully. Um, that could really help us make a difference, with, especially with all the people we lost on defense. Right. Coach, I, I kind of failed to mention that uh, I'm not sure what year it was. Uh, your, your son Kyle played played for you too, correct? Yeah. And uh, he, he graduated in 2009. But, you know, Kyler had a tremendous career here. You know, he was the 2008 National Player of the Year. And he's also the only player in the history of Division Three lacrosse to be named the national midfielder of the year three different times. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. So, you know, he had a pretty good year. In 2008, you know, he was won a national championship. On the same day, he went to the All-American Banquet. Uh, he was awarded MVP of the championship game after scoring five and three. And, and then he was named Midi of the Year, National Player of the Year in 2008. It was quite a day. Um, and were you also named the same year? The coach of the year? I don't know. It was one of those 2008. If it was, that was the same year. I think it was. Yeah. I think I read where you and him were the. Yeah, actually. I don't know if it's the first or only. <laughs> yeah. But that's amazing. That was that was a good year. Yes, it was. Well, Coach, I'm going to ask you something different here. Um, but uh, as an athlete, what role do you think sportsmanship plays in uh, youth sports? since you've been involved with a lot of sports while you were young. Well, and you know, we go to all these club games now all the time and we see all this stuff going on. And, you know, as much as we say, you know, it's up to the coach to teach good sportsmanship, sportsmanship, you know, and, and if the parents aren't acting as good sports, it becomes very difficult for a youth sport coach to teach sportsmanship. It does. Because you bet all these games and you see it all the time. And as much as we put emphasis on it in recent times, there's still numerous parents that are getting on rough. There's trying to be coaches from the sidelines, you know, and their kids see that day after day after day. And it, so it becomes very difficult. You know, why, why is the coach controlling those kids? Well, you know, why is his parent over there yelling at the referee? Why is his father calling him and telling him what to do in every play? And he's so, you know, to me, sportsmanship starts with the parents. It you know? really does. You're and exactly if right. They're, if they're not in line and they're not doing the right thing, it becomes very difficult for a coach, you know, to, to keep all his kids in line and, and do the right thing. Um, you know, so that that's kind of my take on the role of youth sports and sportsmanship is that, you know, you hope that the coach can – set an example early and set a good meeting and set some parameters and, and hopefully keep the parents, you know, doing all the right things and saying the right things. So now it becomes very easy for the, the coach to enforce sportsmanship because, you know, his mom and dad are doing the right things and they're reinforcing the right things, you know, on the sideline. So that's my kind of take on sportsmanship when we sports. And that's an excellent example that you gave because, uh, you know, it's like school. You go to school and, you know, the principal, you tell, parents tell the principal, you let me know if something's wrong. You know, they're backing you. But on the field, if they're not <laughs> promoting sportsmanship too, it's very d- difficult for the, for the coach to do it. You know, and a, and a, and a wild group of parents can incite uh, a 
lot of negative behaviors on the field. For sure. For sure. Well, just a continuous thing we got to work on. But what would you tell a, um, a young athlete, a kid, uh, about following their dreams? Well, I think the most important thing for any athlete at any level is they got to fall in love with the process. You know, right. uh, if you don't enjoy the journey and you don't fall in love with the process, you're never going to do all the little things and develop the skill set it takes no matter what sport it is. If you're not a kid that doesn't like to go out and just shoot baskets after baskets on your own and shoot foul shot after foul shot on your own, you're never going to be a good basketball player. You know, if you're not a, a kid that loves to go out and put your headphones on and get on the wall for 45 minutes every day in lacrosse, your stick's never going to be that good because you just haven't spent time to get an exceptional skill set, which takes, you know, hours and hours. And, and improvements are very incremental, but they're very small increments. Um, but you got to fall in love with the process. You got to enjoy the journey. Because if you don't enjoy the journey, you'll never get the skills that you need to, to really play at the higher level. And then also, if you do get to that next level, i.e. college or, you know, in that level, you know, most kids find out it's not what they've done before they got there. It's what they do when they get there, you know. And if they've had the, the love of the process and the love of the journey, it's easy to, to get hit in the face as a freshman and say, man, I don't shoot it very well or I don't. I don't pass and catch as well as I should. And now I got to even do more wall ball, but I'm used to doing that process and I love doing it. And, and then they get, you know, a, a new sense of urgency with their things, but it's not a problem for them because they do love the journey. They do love the process. Excellent. Another excellent statement, coach. Coach, congratulations. You've been doing an excellent job and you continue to do so. And I tell you what, there's so many people that are so proud of you, including me. And I also want to thank you for, uh, uh, I'm not there anymore, but coming down and doing those uh, lacrosse camps for, for our department in Ocean City. Um, well, I've been doing it for a number of years. We just passed the torch this year for, for, for somebody else. But we were, you know, our, our staff was there for the first years, and I think we did a, made a good impact for, uh, for the kids that came to that camp. Oh, yes, it was a dream come true for a lot of those kids. I can tell you that for sure. Coach, is there anything else you would like to add? No, I just appreciate you having me on. And, you know, we, we hope that some, that some of these people are listening, inspires them to maybe want to come and, and watch the Gulls play this spring in 2020. Yes. Yes. And uh, we would sure really appreciate your, your support. And I guarantee you that, you know, the team will definitely entertain you and you'll have a great afternoon. Oh, yes. Go Gulls. All right. Thank you, Honda. Well, let me just end this with my sponsor here this the 64th episode of the Hondo Handy Podcast has been brought to you by residents in your journey to an unforgettable stay in their hotel in Ocean City, Maryland. Bay Lane, Lane in Ocean City, call 410-723-2222 or find them on the web at residenceinoc.com. My guest today has been Coach Jim Bergman, head men's lacrosse coach at Salisbury University. Thank you, Coach. All right. Thank you, Hondo. Have a good day. Uh, all right, stay safe and keep smiling. Yeah. All right, bye-bye.